Does manual treasury management and operations have your crypto business stuck in the slow lane? Scale up and speed ahead with Fireblocks, the number one platform for crypto operations and trading pros that makes custody, settlement, and rebalancing quick and easy. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime, an integrated solution that provides institutional investors with an advanced trading platform, secure custody, and prime services to manage all of their crypto assets in one place. Futuristic companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy have used Coinbase's comprehensive investing platform to execute some of the largest trades in the industry. Learn more by visiting coinbase.com prime to get started today. I'd also like to give a shout out to Cross River. Whether you're a crypto exchange, NFT marketplace, or wallet, Cross River's integrated API-based platform provides the payment solutions you need to grow. A CryptoFin industry award winner and an early partner for companies like Coinbase, Cross River's tech stack supports crypto partners and enables real-time money movement for consumers. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking at crossriver.com crypto. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. And today on the show is a legend. We have Jonathan Cheeseman, <laughs> Head of OTC and Institutional Sales at FTX. He's also building out the FTX Access platform. We can talk a little bit about that. But basically, you can think of Jonathan as this bridge between traditional finance and the crypto world. His background is... Very much institutional focus. He was at Goldman, HSBC, and Barclays, and now again at FTX. He's in London. John, I feel like I just saw you. I can't, you, you know, you can't get rid of me. Yeah, it was a great time uh, meeting in Paris. It was funny. Uh, on reflection, it reminded me of my first experience of a crypto conference, which was 2018 MIT Blockchain Week. And my word, have the attendance of crypto conferences changed in uh, <laughs> in that in that time period. I know. I mean, it's definitely a bit more buttoned up. It kind of makes you a bit nostalgic for, you know, the simpler times of instead of fancy black tie dinners, maybe a bit more uh, dodgy dive bars. Exactly. Exactly. That would be more 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 comfortable there. <laughs> yeah. It's the space has just grown so fast and, you know, your role is kind of indicative of that. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's been coming up to almost a year at FTX. In one way, it's gone really fast. In another way, I struggle to remember my life before the the 24-hour uh, Sam entered my life. <laughs> but, um, you know, we have a great time. We've accomplished a huge amount in, in, in a very short period of time. And yeah, it's, it's an incredible bunch of uh, people to work with. And yeah, good times. 
Yeah, I remember the story that we put out when you joined back in May 2021. Yogita wrote it, which is uh, yeah. oh, which is a great badge of honor. She's a machine. But so what does the business look like today that you were plucked to run? Yeah, so when I joined FTX, uh, they made a joke that I was head of Boomer Relations, uh, which was you know a very young group of people kind of acknowledging that uh, you know, institutions were trying to get into the space that, you know, there were, there were conversations about capital raising with the investors. There were conversations with banks about how to interface with them as they sort of struggled to, to find their way into the crypto space. And someone, I guess, with, with my background helped uh, on that front. And I mean, it also really helped um, from an FTX perspective that it was my second try at, uh, at crypto. Um, I worked for, you know, most of, um, well, most of 2017 and 2018, a distributed global, you know, a, just a, a digital assets hedge fund that was based in, in New York. So, you know, so I was kind of a bit of a hybrid between a foreign exchange salesperson on Wall Street and a crypto, uh, you know, a crypto native. So, you know, so that really helped me, uh, you know, immerse myself at FTX. I'd say the majority of our flow is still either from retail or institutions that are high frequency trading firms. FTX's tagline has always been, you know, built by traders for traders. And I think that is true. You know, the advantage is the liquidity provided by futures markets, which, you know, is most appealing to investors that, that are sensitive to liquidity. So sometimes the, you know, very buy and hold investors you know, might want to take a, you know, a, a kind of self-custody uh, approach or, a, you know, external custody approach and really only transacting very occasionally. We're, you know, we've made some great steps recently at FTX getting registered and licensed in, in the Bahamas, in Cyprus, in Australia and in Japan. And that really has kind of increased our ability to market to more traditional investors. I'd say, Honestly, I remember the first time I came into crypto, Mike Novogratz talking about how the herd was coming uh, and we were waiting for this uh, this stampede of institutional money to get to understand the, the magic of, of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies and realize that this was, uh, you know, what will come, hopefully we'll come onto macro later and talk about, you know, some of the, the, the use cases and why I think crypto should be so appealing to any investor. And we were hoping that the light switch would come on and the herd would descend in, 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 in 2018 and save us from the bear market. Um, that didn't transpire. And I'd say even still, you know, four years later, institutional investors, especially those regulated in, in the US, have significant challenges, um, you know, to hold digital assets. The, the main reason for that is digital assets are bearer assets that don't have end of day reconciliations. They don't have particularly active insurance markets. And that makes people pretty nervous about their fiduciary obligation to, uh, you know, to safeguard LP's assets. So one of the big trends we're actually seeing at the moment is more traditional funds actually launching smaller uh, internal funds with partner capital, uh, you know, to kind of test run and prove that, um, they can run these strategies before opening them up to to LP capital. 
Um, so that's pretty interesting. And, and I'd say, uh, you know, we're working with probably a dozen of funds that are that are launching those kind of strategies now. Interesting. So there is that kind of the the bread and butter of the non crypto FTX access client. Well, F, I mean, FTX access is, is is fairly new, and it's actually designed with a number of different uh, opportunities that we're, we're going with. One is going to be research. Um, you know, FTX research is going to fall under that. You know, we're going to ha- work on a curated blog, you know, keep it open source, keep it open minded, you know, very kind of crypto community feel to it. But, you know, we will have a few key contributors. We'll be releasing the, the you know, the news soon, but we've hired a kind of macro market strategist. Um, we've, you know, we're going to be working with a technical analyst. Um, mm. And also a number of different research organizations just to try and, um, you know, give a really broad approach to research. We launched our first ETP last month, um, Exchange Traded Solana Index, that's um, available in Europe. We're going to be doing the same with a couple of other individual tokens. And we're also going to do that with a couple of index thematic baskets. You know, these are pretty cool because investors that or institutional investors that aren't comfortable holding digital assets themselves um, can hold these exchange traded products much more easily. The other space we really want to get into is is more bespoke indexes. So you know XYZ uh, bank in, in Germany decides that their clients would like access to, you know, it could really be anything, simple Bitcoin, you know, maybe staked ethereum will probably become a big theme into into the end of the year and they want you to structure that like a bond have it issued by a bank that they have you know that they see the credit as acceptable to means they don't have to do any of the custody themselves they book it just like a like a fixed income product Um, i think doing that on a bespoke basis with large clients will be a pretty big business for for ftx access yeah, so basically research, asset management, and helping large institutions access liquidity in the broader OTC market? Yeah, exactly. We're, at the moment, we're making some big strides upgrading um, our OTC portal, so there'll be more functionality on there um, for people to deal OTC. And, you know, we also do provide, I mean, kind of a more white glove approach to both onboarding, which really is the biggest pain point, you know, and also execution. So, you know, it's, it's, it's doing a bunch of different things. And really, it's just an acknowledgement of, you know, we see the demand coming from so many names. And similarly, we can also see the challenges they face. And we've kind of worked through it with a bunch of, of, of large names that were very motivated to do it. And we can kind of use that experience to help others do the same thing. Is there a bit of caution out there at the moment? I mean, Bitcoin's up today, but it still feels like we're stuck in the doldrums. And I'm wondering how that's impacting the motivation of larger market participants to put on trades in size, aside from, of course, Do Kwan, who is just perpetually long. And sounds like Justin Sun might be entering the... Uh the stablecoin uh, race. So we'll see how that plans out. No, I'd say, you know, that that's definitely a very valid point. And I'd make kind of a few, a few things come to mind on it. Firstly, this is very different to uh, 2018, where I can actually remember meeting um, 
you know, one of the kind of most prestigious hedge funds mid 2018 and them telling us the story of, oh, my God, we almost, you know, bought in January 2018 and we'd have paid the highs and we'd have looked like total idiots when, in fact, those trades would now would right now be be a long long way on uh, you know all over a hundred percent on side um, you know but 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 that and, and you know I think in 2018 that was definitely the feeling institutional traditional investors still felt there were existential risks to crypto I think that's very different to now it was it was actually strange last year I'd say around Labor Day something seemed something happened over the summer and the large investors I was speaking with. They had a number of reasons as to why they weren't doing crypto. You know, could be custody, could could be a variety, didn't have enough time, resources to dedicate to it, whatever it was. And it seemed they came back after summer and just decided, like, that's not a good enough answer. These digital assets are here to stay. Um, we need to figure out how how we can access this market. And there are significant challenges to getting there. But we just, you know, the fact that it's hard isn't a reason not to do it anymore. Um, and, I, and I've actually, I've actually been quite impressed with how resilient um, that that kind of has has been throughout the last year. You know, because because we have had significant price volatility in in both directions. For me, I think most acknowledge that there are some structural tailwinds for crypto. You know, one just being kind of general, a sort of technology piece, which is about digitization. You know, it's about companies adopting a Web3 strategies. Uh, it's about individuals wanting to have control of their own assets and being comfortable, you know, transacting via, you know, crypto, NFTs, however you want to want to piece that together. The other structural piece that I think is growing now is this kind of this idea of, you know, one, like the death of, of kind of fiat currencies because there's kind of no escape from QE, which is really why, you know, why Bitcoin was was designed after the financial crisis. And I think that's kind of becoming a much more irrefutable fact as we look at, you know, what is an incredibly challenging uh, environment for policymakers today. So, so there's that part of it. There's also this Russia being removed from SWIFT. What, where are your assets? Who has your assets? Do you really own them? Can you ha- can you lay claim to them no matter what? Which I think is another structural, which is a structural tailwind for bearer assets. And I think that's very top of mind for high net worth individuals. And then you take away from that the, the second piece, which is structural tailwinds and cyclical headwinds. And mm. there's no question that you know inflation and what that means for central bank policy is a is a significant headwind for crypto assets in the near term. But I think most, you know, I think people are comfortable to separate, you know, temporary cyclicality with longer term structural tailwinds. And, you you know, it's funny because one of the big kind of watershed moments, I'd say, in 2020 was in the summer, I think it was probably May or June, when Paul Tudor Jones wrote his kind of famous letter to investors saying, you know, I think this, this explosion of monetary easing really is going to cause assets to rally quite a lot and crypto will be the fastest horse. That was a very digestible case to be long crypto for traditional investors. Um, mm. And obviously that that argument has now been been removed. So I would say 
people that bought into it simply for that reason are certainly less interested now. But I'd say they'd still probably have they they won't have forgotten about crypto or have doubts about crypto similarly to what they did in in 2018. Yeah, and that has to be like a reasonably small cohort relative to the broader interest that exists in crypto. Like if you think about there's macro folks and then just, you know, more broad investors like a Steve Cohen. He's not getting into crypto for instance because he sees Bitcoin as this gold-like asset, right? I don't think he cares anything about gold. He sees broader use cases for crypto, its impact on healthcare, finance, etc. So maybe the the macro folks have stepped back a bit, but you do have this other cohort of people who are trying to invest in it as a technology, as a call option on the impact that this technology can have across various sectors. But you still have this shaky backdrop, though. I mean, you, you put it pretty well. If you if you rewind the clock back to 2020, you had like, you know, Paul Tudor Joneses of the world making this case for Bitcoin to go up in the face of an infusion of of money into the system. But now you have a backdrop of 150 basis point U.S. rate hikes basically priced in across the next three Fed meetings. Bitcoin's 30-day correlation to tech stocks is reaching, is at its highest level since July 2020. And then gold correlation, um, its 30-day correlation is basically at all-time lows. So what is the case for Bitcoin for the macro person now? Is it is it sell or or at least let some let some off the table? Yeah, I think you know it was it was quite disappointing. Um for you know people like myself and probably yourself that do believe in the the unique properties of bitcoin that it is just it has been so correlated to tech stocks and also in an environment where it was clear really because of russia that investors were reaching for gold because they wanted a bearer asset that couldn't be taken away from them that bitcoin didn't look anything like that really and just looked much more you know looked much more like like a high beta Nasdaq stock. So I would say I have to agree with you that the balance of probabilities is that in the near term, crypto is pretty well correlated to, it is pretty well correlated to the Nasdaq. But I would say I'd make a few points on that. Firstly, so the crypto market bottomed on January the 22nd this year. If you take crypto total market cap, Crypto market cap versus the Nasdaq is almost bang on flat year to date. It hasn't hasn't moved. You could have bought bought either um, roughly the same uh, negative return, I believe, of about 10, 12% this year. And it, and it and it's basically the same. But you know, since that January 22nd low, uh, the crypto market cap versus the Nasdaq is up about 25%. So I'd say that has been, you know, while the kind of day-to-day correlations are quite high. There definitely has been kind of an outperformance of crypto in the last, say, what is that, three months, uh, almost to the day. So that I think that is some call for optimism. And really, I just, um, you know, you could compare it to worse markets too. You could compare it to, you know, TLT, the, the longer dated um, fixed income ETF. You could compare it to, you know, Chinese equities 
you could compare it to European equities. There, you know, the Nasdaq is, is you know, is not a uh, is not the worst thing on the page right now. And I think, you know, that that brings me to one of the you know things that makes me does make me quite bullish about crypto at the moment is we really are kind of running out of things to buy. I think usually, you know, one of the, the thesis of of you know of traditional investments was, you know, 60-40, you know, equities and bonds and the bonds protect you in times where the equities draw down. In fact, this year, you know, the the, the bonds have performed even worse than the equity indices in, in the US. So actually, that's meant that if you if you think it look at like a, a risk parity strategy, it's actually performed worse this Q1 uh, than it did, uh, you know, in, in, in March 2020. So it, it's been an even even bigger drawdown. So people, I you know, really turned off to bonds. I'd say EM equities are pretty, pretty tough. Commodities markets are pretty small. There's just and, you know, while there is a lot of tightening kind of programmed into the market you know the money hasn't been taken back yet you know we still the fed was was printing money until i think about i don't know six weeks two months ago they were actually still buying bonds the ecb are still buying bonds japan's buying bonds china are still easing you know globally and and okay so the fed are going to hike 50 in you know on may mm-hmm. on may may 4th may 5th meeting real rates are still incredibly negative you know because it's likely cpi is 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 pretty understated for the normal person especially the normal you know wealthy person which probably has a bigger you know their cpi basket is probably the most important when it comes to how they react to real rates and where they put their money so they're just you know you're just running out of options and bitcoin's been kind of steadily kind of i think grinding up since that late January time, you know, Ethereum, you're looking into the merge where, you know, potentially by the end of the year, you have Ethereum, which, you know, is a deflationary asset and has a, you know, close to 10%, 10% yield. That's, you know, that's going to be an asset that people are going to, you know, I, th- I think are going to want to own. You can see all the activity around NFTs. It's, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot going on. And I think for most people, the allocations coming into this year were were really pretty small. So for there to be an increase, so you know, so by the end of the year, do I think you know the global monetary kind of supply will be higher or lower? I think it will be lower. But you know, can crypto assets take a a larger piece of that pie? I, I think I think absolutely. So it kind of has to happen, right? Given the amount of capital that has been raised specifically to be deployed into crypto. I mean, effectively they could sit on it, but it, it needs to get into the ecosystem, whether it's through, even if it's through equity deals, the, the capital's recycled, it needs to be deployed, right? You know, if, you know, frameworks coming on the show l- later today, $400 million, that's, that's not going into real estate bonds. I mean, obviously that's small compared to the broader market, but that's just, one fund, there's several funds in the billions of dollars that in in my sense creates some sort of like floor or bid at at least some level that maybe doesn't exist in other markets. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think that's it. I mean, I think the, the key is, is, you know, is there money coming? So crypto has always been, because it's such a small asset class, I think adoption and 
you know, the, the rate of change of growth of the market is, is the key thing. Macro has an impact on that, but it's, I would say, not, not, the only, not the only thing going on. You know, I think allocations to global bonds are going to go down significantly. And, you know, those markets are multiples the size of global equities. So, you know, a tiny, tiny move of that into crypto, you know, creates a big price change. Um, and, you know, look, I'd be lying if I'd be saying that, you know, we haven't been talking about, you know, haven't been talking about this for, for five years. But guess what? You know, on a longer term time frame, crypto prices are up a lot. And I kind of feel that the likely trajectory is that that kind of longer term allocation trend continues. I mean, what, one thing like I've been talking about with a bunch of my old contacts from from macro is what's happening in, in Japan at the moment. Um, so firstly, I think people, especially in the US, um, really often make the mistake of being too US centric. You know, of course, it's the largest capital market in the world. So it is it is the most important by definition. 50% of the global stock market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, big. Yeah. So, you know, no doubt it's it's the most important, but you sometimes miss uh, if you're just thinking about the strengths of weaknesses of the US, you shouldn't be thinking about them in absolute terms. You should be thinking them about them in, in relative terms. So there was this huge, you know, kind of Twitter explosion about, uh, you know, when Russia got taken off SWIFT, that because the US had now, uh, you know, SWIFT was no longer a neutral settlement layer. It had been weaponized and was now, you know, worth less money because it didn't have that neutral quality anymore. And that led people to say, well, but that's weird because the dollar's going up now. If I think fiat currencies are at risk, the dollar should be going down. I actually think, you know, it, it's likely to happen in the other direction where what will cause real problems for fiat currencies is the dollar going going up against everything else. For example, a lot of a lot of other countries borrow in dollars. So the the value of their debt in local currency goes up as the dollar appreciates, which particularly for emerging markets creates big problems. And of, of course, there are examples of that, um, you know, through, through the years. Turkey probably you know, would be, be the most recent one. But if you look at what's happening in Japan now, all the you know, ECB, Fed, all talking about, you know, how quickly are we going to stop buying bonds? How quickly are we going to tighten rates? And the BOJ have said, well, because, you know, their economy is, has really suffered because of COVID. And, and they've said, well, actually, we're going to keep buying bonds we're going to buy an unlimited amount of bonds at a price level. And now the BOJ is like the furthest down QE forever. Like this idea that QE is inescapable, clearly Japan is, is the one you should be looking at for what's the forward here. So, you know, they own, I, I don't know what the stats are, I could look them up. I believe they own over half of the JGB market, and I believe they own about 30% of, of the equity market. And that, that those numbers are going up. And now, so of course, they're having to print more money to do that. So I think in the last, I don't know, two months, the yen has depreciated by about 15% against the dollar. That's a really big move, vol adjusted. And it kind Dollars of is like- on a tear, though. Yeah, exactly. And it's just going to rip through these weaker cases. But guess what these guys are thinking? You know, my central bank just keeps printing and printing and printing and has no way out. Well, hey, maybe crypto, you know, I probably do want to diversify my asset base away from this currency, number one. Where can I get yield? Well, traditional investors, I think, are really struggling to get yield out of crypto so far. 
but I think they'll get there quite quickly. One of the things FTX Access plans to do is, you know, come up with some good kind of yield baskets for people, you know, to invest in on a, you know, on an ETP you know, basis, which would, uh, that would obviously be outside the US because the US regulations are pretty, pretty strict on that front. But yeah, so just those examples, I think are, I think are really important. And I think watching this dollar strength as a leading indicator for money into crypto, I think, I think is, you know, I think, I think is important. Having trouble keeping pace with the crypto boom? When your business is scaling up and your portfolio is growing, you don't want to waste precious time on manual treasury management or settling and rebalancing. Fireblocks can handle that for you with smart, scalable solutions for your crypto business, along with industry-leading security and expertise. They'll take care of the back end so you can focus on the big picture. Visit fireblocks.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Coinbase Prime, an integrated solution that provides institutional investors with an advanced trading platform, secure custody, and Prime services to manage all their crypto assets in one place. Coinbase Prime fully integrates crypto trading and custody on a single platform and gives clients the best all-in pricing in their network using their proprietary smart order router and algorithmic execution. Futuristic companies like Tesla and MicroStrategy have already used Coinbase's comprehensive investing platform to execute some of the largest trades in the industry. Build a unified investment portfolio with one of the most trusted names in crypto. Learn more by visiting coinbase.com prime to get started today. This episode is brought to you by Cross River. Building the next big thing in crypto? Then it's time to get your fiat on and off ramp solution from Cross River. Whether you're a crypto exchange, NFT marketplace, or wallet, Cross River's integrated API based platform provides the payment solutions you need to grow. Cross River is powering the future of financial services. A CryptoFin industry award winner and an early partner for companies like Coinbase, Cross River's tech stack supports crypto partners and enables real-time money movement for consumers. Welcome to a new world of crypto-friendly banking. Request your fiat on and off-ramp solution now at crossriver.com slash crypto. So dollar strength, the sort of amount of capital sitting on the sidelines. What other tailwinds do you see for crypto in this market right now? Uh, so a good tailwind is often an end of a headwind. So, you know, Monday was the day that we all paid Uncle Sam. Interesting that that was a local low for most crypto assets. I've thought about this a lot, actually. Um, and it's basically impossible to like try and figure out how much gains were, were realized last year. You know, it's pretty obvious that people with large gains would have dealt with them before tax day. Um, and it would be the smaller retail investors that would be kind of liquidating assets to pay taxes right, right before. So you would think, <laughs> but you know, the, the gains also are huge, right? The gains in 2021 in crypto were absolutely astronomical, you know, so, so there were, there were some big gains to be harvested and regardless, of whether they were or they, you know, the flow went through or the flow didn't go through. I think it was probably a pretty good reason 
to not buy until that point. You know, if you were planning to allocate, you know, why not at least wait until something pretty well, well telegraphed uh, passed. And that's, you know, there's that side of it. I think another side of it is funds that did really well, you know, no doubt have been either distributing assets or having redemptions. And like some of the funds that get taken out of liquid crypto vehicles, get reinvested in venture capital crypto vehicles. But I do think there's like, there's a bit of a weight on on liquid crypto from those kind of redemptions that probably, you know, were quite likely to happen towards the end of last year. You know, Q, Q4 last year, Q1 this year, I think maybe we're still, you know, maybe we still had to digest a lot of these. You know, like if you think of, you know, the kind of before Bored Apes, the poster child return was probably, well, there were a few of them, you know, Luna, Solana, I think, you know, uh, Phantom, some of these had these, you know, crazy, almost you know, 10,000% 10, returns from, 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 from seed investors. People just have to take that that money back. You know, there. Are, if you're a fund and, and your fund goes from, you know, at the start of the year being uh, 25 basis points Solana to 50% Solana by the end of the year, you know, you kind of got to change that because it's just not what your investors have kind of expected you to do and to, you know, have the, the future of your kind of, your fund based on one asset is, is probably not your your plan. So for some of the winners, I think there was a you know very natural kind of P and L harvesting. Um, mm. So you know, I mean, and I, I one of the things I keep coming back to is you know living through what was pretty miserable in 2018 is you know if if 40,000 Bitcoin, 3,000 Ethereum, 100 Solana, you know, if you're telling me that that's the bear market. Uh, I'll take it. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, who knows that, that, that could be, and it may well be that there's just more, more to be bled out of the market. Um, But it also may be that just this asset class has once again, you know, fallen into the hands of more people and, you know, the ownership has become more diversified and, you know, and we're kind of on, on onwards and upwards in within that kind of longer term trend. What about inflation? How does that impact crypto? And it, are we going to see more higher CPI prints or is this sort of, are we, you think we're kind of at the top there? Yeah. So I think, um, so I think the inflation question is actually kind of quite simple. I think it, within the realms of, of normal inflation. So let's say CPI from 1% to, I don't know, 4%, something like that. I'd say that's contained by central banks. So it's cyclical. As inflation goes up, they rise rates. That's a headwind for crypto, like it is any other asset, because it's in, you know, it's an asset denominated in money. As it goes down and central banks cut rates, uh, it's positive for assets. And, you know, there'll be a cyclicality to crypto assets from that. But as discussed earlier, potentially the more structural tailwinds are the kind of super cycle thesis. What I'd say is if you get outside of that and you have extremely low inflation or extremely high inflation, I think crypto will do do very well. And it's actually that's a, a that's a kind of a Cathy Woods model of crypto that either in either in deflation where central banks just have to print like we haven't seen anything yet. Um, then, of course, something like Bitcoin, which has a fixed supply, will be 
attractive. And then secondly, if inflation goes so high and central banks just kind of give up and you end up with something like, you know, the Weimar Republic in Germany, where people are wheelbarrowing money, you know, money around to go, go out for dinner, you know, an asset that has a fixed supply again will be very attractive. So, you know, it's it's at the extremes, I think, which essentially would would mean a failing of central banking. I think it's very positive for, for crypto in that like middle range. It's, you know, central banks work fine and they have an influence on all asset prices. That's kind of how I think about those questions. And then on have we reached peak inflation? Um, I mean, quite possibly energy prices are certainly lower now than they were on average for the last month CPI reading. I thought it was interesting, but, but you know, the, the supply chain issues are, are a real problem. You know, I think it's something like 30% of grain is 30 to 40% of grain is created in Russia and Ukraine. So that's obviously a major food issue. And obviously for Europe, all of the gas really comes from comes from Russia. So that that's a major issue. You're seeing the big build up at Chinese ports again, because, um, you know, they're, they're experiencing a bigger COVID slowdown. So I'd say, do we know we're through peak inflation? I'm not sure. I'd say it possibly, but, you know, we have to wait and see. I would say what I would say that was quite interesting is, you know, Vice Chair Brainard gave a speech last week. And she talked actually really clearly about and how important the decline in core inflation was. So yeah. headline inflation is everything. Core inflation strips out food and energy. And you might say, well, hey, like stripping out food and energy, like aren't those the things we're, you know, aren't those the things we're worried about? And I think the problem with that is for the Fed to start tightening based on food and energy prices. That's really like crisis mode um, mm -hmm. and a different, even more of a crisis than I believe we're in now, because actually food and energy prices going up, you know, those are things people don't really control how much they consume. So that's already having a, a tightening effect on the economy, on consumption anyway. So it's not really something that they should be trying to or are able to kind of dampen. So, you know, don't get me wrong. The Fed and the ECB are in a really tough spot here. Yeah. But I don't think it would take that much, you know, that much kind of bad news on the economic side, especially if that was twinned with inflation starting to tail lower, that they might start changing their tune quite quickly. I think naturally they know the risks of, of over tightening, but I know that but that's not a political message that they can deliver right now. And they don't want to confuse people. They do want financial conditions to tighten. And yeah, so that's that's where we are. I think, you know, I don't know if we're past peak inflation. We're definitely not past peak tightening because they haven't even started yet. Yeah. So we'll find out. One of the things that's interesting about markets is, you know, is because it's priced in, is that it does that capture, does that actually capture when it happens? We'll see. And I think that's especially challenging when it comes to QE and QT, which is likely to start in, in June when they start, you know, reducing the size of the balance sheet. I think people are quite worried that that could have a, that could have a, a bigger impact. One victim of this market or of these market conditions, obviously tech stocks, growth stocks broadly, but the crypto stocks have just 
like you don't want to be a public company in crypto right now. I'm looking at the Coinbase chart and it's just broken. It's down. We're down about uh, 60% from highs in November since the beginning of the year, down about 43, 44%. It's brutal. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think they kind of have a one one way, you know, they have some probably early investors and, you know, there's, there's probably a li- some liquidity being tapped out of that. Potentially, I think sometimes, you know, you make acquisitions in stock. Perhaps those holders think that there's something they can create a higher return with that capital from. I think, you know, what one of the other things actually that, that really hurts Coinbase is, I believe by market cap, it's the highest. Uh, holding within um, the ARK Innovation Fund. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's really just, you know, an ETF. So, you know, if, if you or I buy or sell, a, you know, a unit of ARK, they have to kind of rebalance it to, to do what they do with, with the components. So, you know, as as that has, has obviously was hugely successful, has been hugely unsuccessful, uh, or, or, you know, the returns have been have been unsuccessful, that, you know, there have obviously been some big, some big outflows and that, that's a headwind for their for their biggest components of which Coinbase is one. But yeah, I mean, it, it's actually I, th- I think it's true um, in you know most parts of the equity market that there is this divergence between list and, and private values, mostly because I believe you know as a venture fund or a private investor, you have much lower volatility on your on your on your pri- on your you know you don't have the daily mark to market to deal with. So there is there's a premium that's kind of been allotted to that. Yeah. Yeah. Some of these listed crypto equities definitely seem to be pretty cheap. So you kind of mentioned this earlier about the, the quote unquote bear market, you know, if, if it's going to give us these types of returns in Solana, like, you know, not that bad of a bear market, but where are we? Like, how would you describe this moment in time? So I would say this moment in time it's probably like the most uncertain macro period that I've that I've ever seen. Central banks have gone from five years ago being worried about deflation to be worried about infl- you know inflation now. We've had a pandemic um, that no one could have could have foreseen, and you know the the consequences of that have been been so so far reaching. Um, you know not just in in market terms, but also in the way we interact with each other. Um, and then you know the, the third thing is you know we're in the in the middle of a, a war with you know one of the you know, so a nuclear power and um and 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 a country that controls a huge amount of of natural resources. So you know, so it it truly is a very unpredictable time. And I think, I think we've got to a point now where we have priced in a lot of tightening, and the market has taken it. And you know, the, the market is down a lot, right? I mean, if you think when did this start? This started when. Kind of Powell said at the beginning of December that the inflation was no longer transitory, and they kind of gave up on that. Really, since that point, you know, fixed incomes down a huge amount, equities are down a lot, cryptos down a lot, and I think you know now now we're kind of in that in that moment of time where you know the, the market's asking kind of is this now enough? Have we found a new equilibrium? You know, or are we going to really be plunged into into a much deeper bear market? And be watching it. Me, you, and small thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he'll be reco- he'll be re- he'll be recording it. Yeah, he's like you know our Library of Congress. 
exactly exactly <laughs> exactly and what a yeah what a wild uh the, the, this twitter story as well is uh is is, is completely uh completely wild too um, oh yeah i was talking to a friend who works there and she said that um it's hard to kind of even work because of all of that it's just wondering what's going to happen next yeah i mean it's wild actually i was i was kind of looking through it and you know that it's almost the stock price is like not that dissimilar to to where the IPO was. Um, I think like it would still be like a five or six x to get to Facebook's value, and then you just think about it. You're like, you know, I, I mean, I use it all the time. A ton of really wealthy people use it all the time. You know, Elon Musk's on it, Mark Andreessen's on it, Sam's on it. You know, like it's just you know, you, you and I are on it too. too. <laughs> To, to bring down the average um, <laughs> but you know it's it's become like such a useful kind of application i wonder if you know if, they, if there was a way to translate this thing into you know into web3 i think it would be you know fascinating really and i don't know if the uh, i don't know i think the the, the employee shareholders probably are, are somewhat frustrated themselves that um that this could be something could be done better but but you know a lot of smart people have been trying to figure it out for a long time so who, who are we to uh who yeah we judge? Fine. just just simple <laughs> talk. um maybe we we can convince sam to buy it maybe yeah i mean i you know he likes twitter a lot um he uses it all the time so yeah i'm sure if we could <laughs> it would, the issue would be finding carving out some of his of his time for, for it would be the, yeah would it would be, the, be the, yeah he's he's got a lot on his plate well john thanks so much for coming on the show oh man thanks a lot for having me frank it's been a it's been a pleasure yeah definitely so again we've been joined by jonathan cheeseman over at ftx john where can our listeners learn more about what you're doing yeah, so um, I'd say at the moment, you know, FTX Access's Twitter account, FTX underscore Access, provides information about the markets, you know, observations about the markets rather than any investment advice, and also, um, you know, news about FTX and the products that we're bringing out. The FTX Access Research website, um, you know, the community blog that we're building, um, will hopefully be ready in the next month or so. So that should be, you know, a pretty cool uh, thing for people to use and it will be free to use so yeah so we'd, we'd like to spread as many good ideas and get as much kind of intelligent conversation as, as we can parfait <laughs> great seeing you cool thanks a lot frank ladies and gentlemen we'll be back with you again with another great guest have an awesome day <laughs>